This is the Weather Lounge here at Weatherworks. Hello and welcome back to the Weather Lounge. I'm your host, meteorologist Brad Miller, and I thank you for tuning into our podcast. And of course, we come to you from our Weatherworks headquarters located in Hackettstown, New Jersey. And joining me on the podcast is my daring duo, the weather wizard himself, meteorologist Mike Mahalik. Hey there, Mike. Now... <laughs> Go ahead. All right, Mike, go ahead. Introduce yourself again. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you just gave me a great introduction, I suppose. I um, used to do that, and then you got mad at me. You said I, I did it too much. I don't know if daring duo is the right thing. It should be more dynamic duo. Dynamic duo. Yeah, I, I like that better. Yeah, sure. You changed it on the rundown, not me. I did not touch that portion. Oh, well, then Mike, it must have been Mike Priante, our producer. I'll have to blame him. I did look it over, of course. I, I just figured I'd just go with it. <laughs> well, anyway, Brad, uh, great to be here, as always. And, um, you know, I was just thinking the other day um, that, man, I was thinking of this crazy blizzard that they had out in the Midwest back in 2011. It was the Groundhog Day blizzard, they dubbed it. And... I don't know why I was thinking about that. Maybe because, you know, we wanted to talk about the Midwest weather a little bit more on the podcast. 2011, I mean, I wasn't at Weatherworks yet. You were already there. And I was actually in South Carolina then. And I, you know what? And I was, I did the weather on TV down there. I I do remember though, we did a story actually on that. And I didn't do it. I, it was like one of our top stories, I think, as we started the day. And it was a blizzard in the, in the you know, Midwest. Chicago got buried. It was just a crazy storm. Now, at this time, I was doing uh, more forecast out in the Midwest, actually. I mean, typically I'm forecasting in New England, um, but at that time I was out in the Midwest. I was also doing certified snowfall tolls for us out in the uh, in Illinois. And uh, man, this storm had all the earmarkings that you would see on an East Coast nor'easter um, where you had... Uh, heavy snow, thunder snow in Chicago. Um, tw- oh, that was the, uh, that's right. That was the Jim Cantori R- right. original, right? <laughs> I don't know if it was the original. I okay. doubt that. However, I know he, uh, he did his uh, typical freak out thing right, um, right. when he there was, was thunder and, snow. And, yeah, the thunder he, he was live in downtown yeah. Chicago and um, yeah, the thunder snow happened several times, I believe. Um, you know, but man, this storm, 21 inches fell in the city of Chicago. And if you know anything about Chicago, I mean, they get snow and they do get a lot of instances of snow, but getting that caliber of snowstorm, it's tough to have that perfect setup. Right. It doesn't happen that often. I mean, you know, on the Eastern seaboard, we get that happening more often, but here, um, Man, they really cashed in. They were right in that sweet spot of the storm. They had gusts over 60 miles an hour, uh, 10 foot drifts. Uh, Lakeshore Drive was closed in Chicago with cars just stranded. Yeah, that was the one when cars got stranded, right? Right there on the uh, on the lakefront. And yeah, and you know the funniest thing about it. Well, not funny, but the craziest thing is that this low wasn't even all that strong it was 996 millibars so yeah that's like a an average storm here on the 
but but what really set it off is that the high pressure to the northwest of it was uh 1052 millibars and that is extremely high you know so we're not talking about a, a storm that had really low pressures but man the pressure gradient between the high and the low was just so great creating those winds i gotta say it's one of the most memorable storms that i've witnessed here at weatherworks honestly i mean yeah there's some there's big ones on the list like sandy and all that but um this is definitely ranking up there yeah like you said the uh that that wind i'm sure coming off of uh um, yeah, like Michigan had to be just ridiculous. A, a 1052 high. I mean, that pressure gradient, like you said, that northeast wind had to just be screaming. I mean, uh, and that I'm sure added to the moisture content of the storm itself. Yeah, I think there was some lake enhancement happening there off of Lake Michigan also. Um, but to that topic, uh, Brad, why don't we get on to, you know, why we're talking about the Midwest here so much? Yeah, I mean, uh, you you moved on. You're you're forecasting now in New England, and uh, I'm mostly, uh, you know, Hudson Valley, Western Connecticut, Long Island. Um, so, you know, of course, we can talk about it as much as we want, but you know, we thought we'd bring in our Midwest forecaster, um, really our guru here at Weatherworks, uh, meteorologist Chris Castellano, and um, you know, he knows all the ins and outs of the microclimates of the Midwest, and uh, we thought it'd be great to get his perspective on uh, not only, of course, that storm, but uh, Midwest weather. And uh, how it can have different challenges, really, to forecast, uh, not only in the winter, but also in the summer, uh, big differences between the Northeast and Midwest. So we'll, we'll have Chris on, but before we get to that, we'll uh, take a short break here in the Weather Lounge, and we'll be right back, so don't go away. Hey, everyone, it's Mike Prianti from the Weather Lounge here, and let me tell you, dehydration is no joke. I went through it myself once, and it's not fun. You get headaches, muscle spasms, cramps, the whole nine yards. But proper functional hydration is essential for just about everyone. Sometimes, though, water may not be enough, and that's where Liquid IV comes in. They're the number one powdered hydration brand in America, and their hydration multiplier is something you're most likely missing in your daily routine. You don't even have to be a sports professional to enjoy it either. With just one stick, you can hydrate twice as fast than using water alone. It has three times the amount of electrolytes than leading sports drinks, it's made from non-GMO ingredients, and it's chock full of essential vitamins. I personally enjoy the passion fruit flavor, but there are other great refreshing flavors you can choose from as well. So whether you're out landscaping, plowing a parking lot in a snowstorm, heading out for that afternoon jog, or even just feeling run down, Liquid IV is your go-to source for all hydration and wellness. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code WEATHERLOUNGE, capital W, capital L, at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code WEATHERLOUNGE at liquidiv.com. And welcome back to the Weather Lounge, everyone. I'm one of your co-hosts, meteorologist Brad Miller. Of course, Mike Mahalik across the desk from me here. And uh, I would like to introduce to you right now, meteorologist Chris Castellano. He, again, is our Midwest forecaster, one of our Midwest forecasters here at Weatherworks. And uh, also, his voice may sound familiar as he does the introduction to uh, our podcast here in the Weather Lounge. And uh, Chris, uh, thanks again for joining us here on the podcast. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, glad to join you guys. Uh, it's gonna be some fun. Yeah. I mean, uh, and Chris, uh, just a little background. In fact, you and I, uh, trained together at Weatherworks. Um, I remember when we were hired and, uh, we went through our training, uh, around the same time. And I remember you used to always come in with your Mets jacket. You, you were a huge <laughs> Mets fan. I'm a huge Yankees fan. I just remember always, uh, chit chatting with, uh, 
with you about that. And also you're a Rangers fan, which is nice. New York Rangers, of course. We're both Rangers fans. Yep. A hundred percent. You know, bleed uh, blue and orange, bleed blue and red with the, with the, uh, yeah. with the Rangers. So we, we, we always commiserate, at least with the Rangers. So. <laughs> yeah. It was always nice that we, you know, come in and talk to Chris about, you know, the, the, the baseball and the hockey. But um, excuse me while I'm getting sick over here, guys. Oh, uh, yeah, with, no. As a Philly fan, I uh, <laughs> have to disagree with all this. Hey, you guys won a Yankee Super Bowl recently in, in, a, in a World Series back in two what 2008 so yeah i guess but it's okay but you know but more importantly we have chris on the podcast today because he again is our uh one of what, our we're not going to talk about sports this podcast. well fun fun fact about that is i was living in philly at the time when they won the world series ah, so. oh. <laughs> which was not fun for me so that, that's another story well the yankees turned out and be a man year, so. <laughs> you, you must have went down to the parade downtown and everything didn't you <laughs> now, i heard all the pots and pans after when they won yep yeah all that's right. right yankees took care of business the next year in 2009 <laughs> yeah all right Anyway, so Chris, uh, again, um, let's let's open things up here a little bit about what what are some of the biggest Midwest forecasting differences, basically from the, the Northeast or really any other region across the country. Um, I really do think they come with all sort of like you know the same challenges, uh, just about with anyone else. I mean, you gotta you know predict what the snow is going to do to pavement and you know everything like that. It's never easy. Um, and, you know, snow being probably one of the most important aspects uh, of winter forecasting, especially from, you know, what our clients do care about. Uh, but the one thing I would say it's, uh, you know, it, it, it snows a lot, um, quite often. I know we've been, you know, a little quiet here, but, it, you know, so is most of the country lately. Uh, but, you know, for the most part, you know, they, they don't get a lot of, you know, Groundhog Day blizzards. Um, you know, like, like the one Mike is uh, talking about. Yeah. Well, like, like Mike said in the first part of the, of the podcast, it snows a lot in Chicago frequently, but it's rare to get that one big dump of snow, but it does happen from time to time. Exactly. It, it, it can be, a, it just is very busy. Um, you know, cause we get a lot of events out here. Um, there's a lot of things and we'll probably talk about that, I guess, a little bit, a little on be a topic of a conversation later. Um, but they get a lot of different ways in which they can snow. Um, and they can snow almost sometimes uh, with very little reason. So, um, you know, it, it's just a very busy area. Um, you know, the, the, a lot of them do snow. They have many different ways in which they can snow. It can be very, very cold. Um, so all that um, definitely adds to, you know, some of the challenges that we deal with out here. Uh, where, whereas we get our one storm every once in a while out here in the east, uh, but it's, uh, you know, a high impact storm. We get a lot of events out in the Midwest. Yeah. And, and Chris, when you when you say Midwest, uh, what are we talking about? So our listeners know kind of a general region. Um, I think most do know, but maybe just explain that a little bit. Yeah. So anywhere from the Ohio Valley, Ohio through Indiana and Illinois and even up into like Wisconsin, um, I would call that generally the Midwest. Um, you know, for our purposes, it really is uh, from Illinois to like Western Pennsylvania, uh, kind of, um, and how we kind of handle it. But in terms of like the actual Midwest, I would kind of just call it the Ohio Valley out to Illinois, Wisconsin. I think there's a little bit of a misnomer here because, you know, we talk about the Northeast weather a lot and, you know, there's, there's 
different elevation changes. There's valleys, there, there's cold air damming situations, things like that. There's the ocean right nearby. But I feel like sometimes you get this impression that, well, it's the Midwest. It's all sort of flat out there. You know, it can't be that hard, right, to forecast. But in reality, I'm sure there are tons of challenges I'm out there. And I've had some experience out there. And it, it's not always uh, a, a cookie cutter, straightforward type thing. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> Man, uh, I don't know if you could speak to that a little bit more and just, you know, maybe about some of the situations that you encounter. You got a lot of different, you know, topographical that's the word, uh, cha- challenges here um, when you're talking about the Midwest. Um, you know, one of the biggest things being the lakes um, and, and number one, Chicago. Um, I know that's already being the main topic of conversation already, uh, but, um, you know, not to give it too much love, but uh, yeah, the, the lake is a huge challenge uh, when it comes to forecasting snow in the Midwest. Um, uh, if we want to just talk in, in terms of snow, um, it can deal, we can do a lot of problems with the temperature out there. You know, if the lakes are too warm, um, there's a lot of lake influence, but at the same time, we have to, we have to juggle sort of lake influence with, you know, the temperatures and impacting how warm the pavements stay, whereas inland spots are a little colder versus also lake enhancement. And there's a lot of times where um, sometimes, you know, we, we do like, look at a lot of the guidance that likes to bring up these bands of snow that get enhanced by the lake and the flow off the lake. Um, but a lot of times that doesn't really materialize. Sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. Um, so there's a lot of that that goes on. And um, and then not only to mention that, I mean, uh, probably one of the worst places to try to, Chicago, to try to forecast in Chicago is the downtown metro. Um, because not only are you dealing with the lake once you get to that point, but you're also dealing with obviously population, population um, the urban heat of, island, all that yep, good stuff. A hundred percent. Um, I, I, I was going to bring up this storm, uh, but, um, this is number one example. So my first week, um, here with weatherworks, um, uh, this was, uh, back in 2015 when I first joined Brad and I were talking about that. Um, the very first storm I got introduced to. Um, it was my first week here, um, doing winter forecasts in the morning and it was a 20, it was the 2015 storm. I believe, uh, looking at it from November 20th to the 21st, um, it smacked Chicago with, you know, uh, anywhere from two to 20 inches of snow. Oh my gosh. The, met- <laughs> the, the downtown Metro had, um, two inches of snow and didn't stick to pavement. Whereas, you know, just a couple of counties over in McHenry got 15 to 20. Um, so I don't know if I remember that storm, but I, 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 I how are you supposed to? I mean, that, that that's hard to forecast. <laughs> well, not only did I have to forecast it, I also had to do the certified snowfall total, total uh, for yeah, it. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so that was my intro uh, to the Midwest. And I've been I we have been uh, together ever since. So. Well, decided to uh, welcome you with open arms, I suppose, uh, with a incredibly challenging storm that you don't normally see um, out in the Midwest. Uh, those type of gradients. Uh, you think that last two to four inch forecast was tough, Chris? Here, hold my beer, Midwest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, Watch well, this storm. 
it it set me up, and, and I really do in a way. It, it it's sort of good to get your feet to the fire, right? You know, when you when you're first coming out, you know, on and- <laughs> maybe not like that though. You pretty got, yeah. got dipped in down to your waist. <laughs> uh, but you know, it, it did. It, it in some ways, you know, it kind of toughens you a little bit. You know, you're like, oh, well, the, the, how much worse could this get? And then we had another five storms after that two weeks. Um, because I do remember that being a particularly busy period, um, those first couple of weeks. So, uh, but um, I kind of learned almost quickly um, just how frequently they snow out here. Um, you know, and that's one of the biggest things. Um, as far as anywhere else, and I know I want to give some other uh, places some love. Um, really, the thing I would say is probably the most challenging for. Um, if you're going to be talking about elevations, it's really the valleys. It's the Ohio Valley. Um, when you talk about like Ohio, because there is actually some sneaky elevation out there. Um, so there are some topographical challenges in those spots. And then of course, you know, places like Cincinnati and, and Indianapolis, you have your, you know, uh, you have your metropolitan concerns. So, um, you know, it, it is a little bit of a challenge. The good news is we don't have to deal with like, you know, effects from the mountains or anything like that um it is sort of straightforward when you have a nice big synoptic system um you know you just have to deal with sort of the normal stuff um as opposed to you know there's no real cold air damming per se in the midwest though is there i mean not like there is in the northeast i mean I guess you get boundaries that set up, but nothing like what we deal with here. I think they get like a weakened version of it sometimes in Indiana and in Indiana um, in Indy and in parts of Ohio uh, can actually lead to some, you know, some mixing and some ice. Um, so they have like a little, their own little version of it, uh, but it's not, not nearly to the prevalence um, of, you know, what places out here in the Northeast can get. Let's, let's, let's talk about Midwesting, Chris. It, it's a, it's a popular term <laughs> that we use My, here at Weatherworks. <laughs> what <laughs> is, what is Midwesting? So, so there, not a lot of people are going to know what this is. Right. I, understand. Fact, I don't think anybody does. Um, yeah, no, this is a more coined, yeah, coined, uh, by our forecasters here. <laughs> Uh, and I think it might have been coined by Chris. Yeah, it might have um, been. I, I think it was my. I think my. I think I might have, or between myself and uh, one of our former colleagues that used to cover the zone. We may me. have to call Webster's Dictionary and see if yeah. we can add it to, to the next year. <laughs> Please, hey, look, you know, we can make it a thing. Um, why not? But uh, yeah, so yeah, I think we coined it a number of years ago because there were so many times. And this is, this is part of the challenge, too. And this is what I was talking about before in terms of, like, it never stops snowing in Chicago and uh, in, in the Midwest. And there were times where it just seemed to randomly snow for no reason. Um, and we would predict, you know, uh, uh, oh, the snow will stop at sunset. And it would keep going and going. And there would be these flakes and flurries that would actually We met sunset to tomorrow, overnight. not today. Well, yeah, and, and, and I'll tell you the <laughs> truth. I, I have come in on some mornings, and I would see it snow showering. Like, uh, you know, why is it snow showering right now? It, it's 4 a.m. This was, you know, this stuff was supposed to be out of here last night. Why is it still snowing? And it would actually be, and you know, it would be so cold that it would just be flakes, and it would be enough to be impactful. Um, you know, and, and we were just like, all right, what in the world is causing all this? Why does this continue to keep happening? Um, and so what it was, was we just looked at a few different types of things. And, and one of the biggest drivers is simply cold air. 
Um, you know, is it cold? If it's cold, um, then, you know, if, you know, I don't know if I want to get too technical about the snow growth zone, but that would, you know, in that area where it's normally cold enough to create flakes, you know, way up into the atmosphere, it would happen right at the surface. I was going to say the snow growth zone would be very, very low to the ground. Exactly. So that, you know, when you're creating these flakes, instead of creating them at 800 millibars, 700 millibars, 600 millibars, you're creating them, you know, in, you know, the height of the, you know, what was the Sears tower. Um, you know, you're, you're talking about very, very low, um, you know, areas in which the snow can Music grow. can't be seen on radar. Exactly. Um, yeah. um, most models don't even pick it up. Uh, you know, you almost say, this is purely meteorology. This is purely not looking at a model. This is looking at the setup and how it looks and just figuring out, hey, you know what? There's a little bit of moisture. There is a 500 millibar trough. There is cold air. Um, you know, all these things and even a little bit of instability at the ground level create almost like these convective snow showers, like almost like thunder showers during the day or at any time, really. Um and that's what we started to notice. And when we picked up on that, we figured out, hey, this is why this snow continues to happen. And, you know, it's not, a, it doesn't sound like the most impactful thing. We're only talking about coatings of snow, but it could be a problem. Sure, uh, a coating of snow at 15 degrees is a problem. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it, it could be, you know, happening like this, and it's not a problem. It's just flurries. It doesn't matter. And then there's times where it's actually cold enough for it to actually be a problem. Um, and there have been times where I've actually had to justify why I put snow in the forecast because nobody else would do it. <laughs> um, you know, I, I would get a call from a client, one of our biggest clients that we have out in Indianapolis. And he would call us and he'd be like, hey, listen, I, I don't know. You know, nobody else is saying that this snow is happening. You guys are saying it. Why is that? And I would explain it. And then sure enough, it happened um, because we just know that this setup is always a thing out here. So um, as little as it sounds and a coating of snow doesn't sound like much, it's a problem for some of our clients because they got to worry about that. If that sticks to pavement, you know, it's a liability. And that's good that you, you know, you, you again, you, you've been out there for a long time and you recognize these things and that's, that's what it takes, you know, and that's what makes us so much better, I think, than, you know, others when you know we we recognize a certain setup because you've been doing this for so long in that area same thing with mike in new england i know that there's going to be ocean effect snow because this is the typical setup for it and you know it it's the recognition i think of uh being in that zone or that area for so long yep a hundred percent and and we've seen it to the point where uh, we've you know i can remember it well in indianapolis a few years ago forecasting for them it was a midwesting setup it was regular snow showers and flurries all right we're not worried about it but then during the day all of a sudden in one area in indianapolis they start to snow and we're getting a squall in this one little area and that was industrial snow um there was a factory that was creating snow we had to contact our clients because it was covering pavement um, so it's the type of thing that can happen out there and it happens a lot more. And, and wasn't there an instance, even, uh, I remember this a couple of years ago and correct me if I'm wrong. It wasn't there an instance somewhere near the runway of midway or, or the back 
like from the the hot air coming out of the planes. Correct. Yep, and, and it's happening. Like, and they'll get these funky shaped returns on radar, and you're like, eh, it's just kind of like radar noise, not a big deal, right? Turns out, and it was actually snowing really hard for like two minutes because it was so cold. But the the heat from the the planes and the exhaust, I guess, was causing enough. Yeah, that's crazy. Yep, and I think it's just it's just there's little issue from any kind of you know, you know topographical effects or anything like that um there's very little issue from anything um and then, and then you have the access to the cold air um if it's at the you know it doesn't it's not often that it gets that cold that you know get that sh- kind of shallow cold out here you get it frequently in places like chicago and even indian ohio uh where it just kind of sits there it's more landlocked it's in a better spot um, so if it's really, really cold and you got a little bit of moisture added to that, any moisture source, and it doesn't even have to be from the atmosphere. It could just be, you know, a little bit of, you know, atmospheric moisture and then, you know, you know a factory or a ski resort. Steam from a power plant? <laughs> Steam from a power plant. I mean, we've seen that. We've actually seen that in the Northeast a few times, too. But Absolutely. There was a case, I think, where... Um, out near State College, I remember there was a, a factory or something. Uh, don't, don't bring it up. <laughs> well, you know, in reality, it was uh, from a sanitation plant. Um, so, you know, I, I'm pretty sure the snow was not discolored. But nah, I know. <laughs> yeah, don't eat that snow. Our, 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 producer, our producer is uh, Mike Priante is messaging uh, poop snow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, but hey, Mike, didn't we do a video a number of years ago? We did a, a video about don't don't eat the snow. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> true. Snow. We shouldn't eat it anyway. Um, yeah, it's very yeah. Dirty. I I mean, snow, even though it looks white and clean and and pure, um, when you actually get you know, go get a cup full of that and melt it down in your microwave one time. And uh, you'll see that there is way more uh, particulates in there than you would like. A lot of floaters you don't want to be involved with. (laughs) So so when your kids are out there eating snow or something like that, I mean, I've done it, obviously. I'm sure everybody has really, you know, eaten snow before. Probably probably Uh, have accidentally done it during a snowball fight. (laughs) Right, exactly. But, uh, you know, in reality, when you when you melt that down, you look at it and go, oh. It's a little dirty. <laughs> Maybe that's why Lucy didn't like December snow. Because remember in the peanuts when she said, ah, "That's true." I don't like December. I usually wait till January, February. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they're not ripe until February, yeah. right? Um, but <laughs> the uh, dendrites aren't ripe till January. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, ripe for the picking. Yeah, but. Yeah, man, Midwesting uh, is one of those crazy things that uh, certainly happens a lot out there. Well, well, Chris, if we can get it into the uh, into the Webster's Dictionary, then you can use it in your discussion yeah. one day. Like a, a good dose of Midwesting is on the way. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't know what that is, go, go look it up in a dictionary. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we can at least get it on the Urban Dictionary or something like yeah, that. Yeah. No. That, you know... <laughs> <laughs> there could be other ones. <laughs> no. Uh, but uh, – but Chris, I mean, you mentioned it before. Um, the lakes are certainly an influence when it comes to the to the Midwest, and sometimes it's very subtle things um, that can get that lake effect snow in. I, I remember forecasting in the Midwest and, and in the Chicago area in particular, and you might have a, a north wind, which is bringing a band 
uh, into like Gary, Indiana or something like that. Um, but you get an ever so slight shift out of the north, northeast or something like that. And it doesn't even have to be at the surface. It might be aloft a little bit. And all of a sudden, that band you know, starts creeping in toward, <laughs> towards the lake shore. And good, you know, and it's can be substantial at times. I'm sure you've forecasted some of these events. Yes, um, a number of them, and sometimes I, I'll be, and I'm going to just be honest. This is this is honesty and truth hour. I am fifty fifty on trying to get those. And I don't think there's anybody else is much much better. No, no, Chris, come on now. You are definitely better uh, than fifty percent. <laughs> sorry, let, let, yeah, I mean. I got some stats right here that says <laughs> oh, Fritz is uh, 85% uh, nice. on oh. Lakeshore uh, uh, Lake Enhancement in Chicago. So there you have it right here for my official uh, stats. Right? Oh, that, that sounds great. Um, uh, before I actually answer your question, I wanted to find – uh, I've been looking for this while you while you're talking, hearing your question. My stats? No, no, no. I wanted to find our <laughs> I wanted to find our definition uh, of what we call Midwesting, um, mm. and it is a, it's fantastic. The act of seemingly random but isn't actually random flurries in snow showers lingering <laughs> into eternity. <laughs> yeah, go. I like that. I like it. It's perfect. Yep. I had to find that quote. That I, I, because I was looking for a good way to just throw it into one little little sentence. Um, and a colleague of ours, uh, made that quote. Um, someone one, some one of them did, and it, it, I was just like, they passed it along to me, and I'm like, Chris, what do you think of this? And like, I'm like, that's perfect. That is exactly how I describe it. Because I, I'm not exactly a wordsmith, so uh, you know, that quote was just absolutely perfect. Uh, but, um, I love it. I love it. But yeah, uh, to answer what you were talking about, Mike, with Lake Effect. So yeah, it, it's, it is not the easiest thing in Chicago. And I think just the, the biggest challenge with it, whereas like in Buffalo and in places, you know, in Lake Erie and stuff like that, it, not to say it's easy to forecast Lake Effect out there, but that wind direction when it's more constant out of the West and you have that fetch over this large you know, fetch over a large lake. Um, it becomes to me a little bit more, a little bit easier to try to peg or at least know it's going to happen. Um, it's not often that you get these nice, you know, northeast flows that get snow showers off, and it's that constant um, off the lake shore and onto you know, uh, on into Chicago that often. Um, it has to be a real exceptional setup in order for it to happen. And I think that's one thing that models like to really, really pick out a lot. And then a lot of times it doesn't happen. I would say like when a model has it, there's usually like a 50% chance it actually happens and maybe 30% chance it's usually impactful. You know what, Chris, I can kind of back that up with the same thing in uh, the new England area, because there's some high resolution. Yeah. Ocean effect uh, problems. Uh, and there's high resolution models that are very insistent on bringing moisture into southern New England a lot. And there's many times where I'm seeing this on those high resolution models, uh, not to name any names, uh, three plumber, <laughs> Nam. Names, names. Um, <laughs> I did. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's many times where I'm seeing that flow come on shore 
and I'm thinking to myself, okay, let's really look at this. What's the triggers? What's helping it? Is there anything enhancing it? Um, is this a real thing or not? And, you know, Chris, it's, it's, it's hard to decipher. And a lot of times it just is some extra moisture and maybe some clouds and not really snow. Um, but I, I can, I can feel your pain. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's the, uh, quote from, um, uh, feel the dreams, ease his pain or something like that. <laughs> um, that, that, that's what I, that's what I need. I need the voice to, to help me out a little bit. For anybody, any of our, uh, local, uh, sports fans know, uh, Oh, the pain, bro. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's it's not the easiest thing to get. And, and and I talked before about lake enhancement, um, which is another thing. Um, again, it's just these little localized bands. You know, you get a, a westerly flow or northwest flow from a storm um, that's coming in, moisture, everything kind of converges, you get a lot of convergence along the lake. Again, I feel you, man. Yeah, and it's another... <laughs> over for it's another overdone thing from from guidance um and there's very special times in which that does happen and there's times where it just doesn't you know it's like you you sort of have to not fall for it <laughs> in a way you know too often you know know the times know when it's a special case like okay i think really think that this lake enhancement is a real thing this time this lake effect is a real thing this time um, and I think another way where they can get the lake effect to actually truly happen is that they have, do have some convergence. I mean, I, I think whereas if you got like this nice west wind that's just going right off and into Buffalo, you're going to just get this constant snow, sh- this constant band of snow that just sits there all, t- all the entire time. Whereas Chicago, sometimes I think we rely a little bit more on this little northwest wind and lake uh, uh, land flow. Um, that comes into the lake and creates these little, little, you know, small scale bands and, and lets them sit there and sustain for a little bit. If you find something like that, then that's a real good indication um, that that lake effect is probably a little bit more likely than it normally is. And, and I guess, I guess, if you get that right trajectory of wind, would it be, I guess, a north north? Yeah, it's more like a north northeast, north northeast to north northwest. Yeah, you get that long band going. You need that. You do need that fetch, that very long northeast fetch, about 850, uh, 850 millibars. You need that in northeast fetch, uh, probably more north northeast. Um, and if you have like a little bit of a wind off of the land, um, it kind of just helps keep these bands sustained. Right. Um, and in- so you got a lot of convergence at the service, is what exactly. you're saying. Exactly. A lot of convergence. And further, our listeners out there, you have convergence at the surface. That means, well, the air can't go down, right? So it's got to go up if you have winds converging. Um, so that gives you that little extra lift to sustain the band. Correct. Um, and it almost kind of stabilizes it, too, where it doesn't let it go anywhere. Um, so mm-hmm. you know, it almost kind of lets it sit in one place. And yeah, I can remember seeing a, a few instances on radar where you can see the band, like the entire length of Lake Michigan, like going all the way up into like you know Wisconsin. And that's the other thing too. You you need a, not only do you need the long fetch, you need, you need a sustained fetch uh, to really let it kind of sit and stew for a while. If it's just kind of fleeting, it'll last a few hours. Uh, you know, models will always pick up and say, "Hey, there's going to be this band of snow," but it winds up actually not being as much because maybe it was 
you know, just for a few hours. And they're, and oftentimes I don't think the models are necessarily wrong in, in showing snow and it winds up happening that, that it will, that these little clusters and bands will form oftentimes it just doesn't get it right as far as to how uh, far inland they get um, and how widespread they are. Right. And that's always something, you know, even though I haven't been out there forecasting as long as you, Chris, um, it's always something I, I like to look at. If I was going to forecast a lake effect event in the Chicago area, I'd be looking for that long fetch um, from north to south across uh, uh, Lake Michigan. And then I started looking for, okay, do these winds start turning out of the north, northeast at any point um, during this forecast period? And that's when I knew that lake band could start drifting towards the shoreline and give a problem. Um, those are the situations that I like to see, um, you know, over, you know, maybe a, a consistent northeast wind, but it's also hard to get a very cold, consistent northeast wind. Um, bringing lake bands in. And it's the same problem we talked about before too, right? You need that shallow cold air. Not only, you know, while it does happen in the Midwest a lot, usually you get that shallow cold air uh, on a Northwest flow. So if a Northwest, you know, right, if it's Northwest flow, it's not going to, you know, all your bands of snow that are going to eventually form off the lake over very cold air, you know, it's going to wind up going into Michigan. Um, whereas it's very rare or it's a little bit more rare anyway, uh, for to get, for you to get that very sustained North Northeast wind with very cold air in place. And in those very rare times they even get that little, uh, lake effect vortex that develops that, uh, will come down Lake Michigan. It looks like a mini tropical cyclone or yeah. something like that. <laughs> I'm forgetting that I'm forgetting to mention that. Yes, 100%. That that happens a lot actually. I, that, I'd say it's probably one of the biggest things I usually see. It it looks cool, um for sure. Um but um it definitely it, it it's more of those one of those things in a, again that you probably see more impact like Gary Indiana uh, cuz you know, they wind up just kind of swirling about and going a Christmas down. Christmas story. Yeah, there you go. But the thing is, Chris, the they look cool and they look like, oh my gosh, you're going to be destroyed by this swirling <laughs> mass of lake effect, right? But in reality, maybe not that impactful compared to just a solid band. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> It'll just squall. It'll squall. You won't be able to see the hand in front of your face for a few minutes, but then you'll be fine sure. after that. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, but if you ever get a chance to, to, to pick one of those out, we'll have to sh- share some on our social media if we see any um through the winter here um but those are one of the coolest little things um just looks like a mini hurricane almost um but nowhere near as impactful um snow nato <laughs> so um but chris you know we talked a lot about lake effect we talked about midwesting is there another phenomena that you'd like to talk about in the midwest that uh, is tricky um, one of the things that I think is probably, you know, toughest to deal with and, and really try to pick out sometimes, I think, uh, and this impacts mostly Indiana and Ohio, um, or coastal low transfers. Um, so all the things that happen out here where we have our big, where we get our very big blockbusters, you know, snowstorms out here or our nice, you know, snowmaking coastals. Um, out there, when that happens, 
it actually could be a struggle for for them to snow um, because in really in all reality a big coastal storm originates from some type of clipper right so you have that big cold storm that or a nice little quick moving cold storm coming out of the northwest um and it looks like it's gonna snow really really well for like you know for indiana and then it just kind of hits a wall because it's transferring all of its energy to another low that's going to be eventually our big blockbuster and we we like to call indiana you know indianapolis sometimes in ohio the snow hole um <laughs> lovingly right lovingly exactly. <laughs> um, in, in that regard because they do sometimes get shadowed by that um and, and it's another thing where you know it, models will tend to underdo how quickly that transfer happens um you know of course the larger the more the stronger our storm eventually winds up being out here uh when i say our out here in the east um when it winds up being stronger there it actually, it, it's all the more uh, reason why something like that would happen out in the Ohio Valley. And they can wind up getting sort of, um, you know, on the low end of things, um, as it were. Um, another thing is to... Um, before you go before you go ahead there, Chris, I, I just wanted to clarify the snow hole thing. Listen, we call Hackettstown, New Jersey, our headquarters, <laughs> uh, the snow um, hole of New Jersey. I didn't mean to offend anybody by, like, uh, that we have the... Crowd. Yeah, I know, but I just wanted to clarify <laughs> that because it just seems that when we're getting big nor'easters and stuff like that, that heavy band will be to the west, to the east, just to the north in Sussex County, New Jersey. Jump over us. <laughs> Monmouth County seems to be a hot spot all the yeah. time in New Jersey um, for coastal storms. And um, yeah, it just seems like in Hackettstown, we're on the good old fringe of stuff, you know, nine times out of 10 and, and just not getting that the heaviest snow bands. Um, so it's okay. Uh, those in Indian Ohio, we understand, um, <laughs> you're not the only place that has a, a problem snowing sometimes. Yeah. And they do. And one thing I was just about to, <clears throat> was about to mention was, um, so they don't have, you know, we, what we have out here is we have the extra, like we all, they all have like, you know, the, the moisture source from the gulf and everything like that they do we do mm-hmm. but we also have the added benefit of atlantic moisture uh when it comes to these big storms well it's not something that indiana um really has um they also don't have the benefit of time uh when these storms develop if they if they're not you know a lot of times these storms are developing out of you know uh texarkana and places like that and you know, by the time the storm becomes really mature, as it works through the Ohio Valley, it's not really, you know, fully formed or, you know, in its best shape. So a lot of times if we're actually trying to forecast like, oh, this thing looks like it's going to produce, you know, a f- over a foot of snow. I could tell you from experience, at least for places like Indiana and, and Ohio, I don't think I've actually had many times where I've put into a forecast a 10 plus inch event. Um, and a lot of times whenever it happens, I have to take a step back. <laughs> yeah. You got to think about it a little bit longer. Huh? Exactly. Um, so they lack that additional little bit of moisture. Uh, I think that, you know, I don't think climb, I don't think in terms of cold or climatologically speaking, they're just any different in that way. They, the e- cold air, all things being equal, I think they would 
have just as well of a shot. Uh, but I think they just lack that little bit of extra cold air. And so, like, if you are forecasting something that's really large, you might have to just take that really little bit of step back and be like, oh, I don't know, <laughs> sometimes. Well, yeah, it's just, unfortunately, you know, for, for the snow lovers out there, it's the storm tracks just are have a hard time lining up for those just right. I mean, if you have a big inland runner, um, usually it's something that's going to be, you know, coming out of Arkansas and then going directly over Indiana or something like that. And then you're going to have a snow to a sleet to rain situation uh, where you're getting that warm air coming in from the south. And all the people out to the west of there towards Illinois, they're doing OK because they're getting a big band of snow. Um, and then, like Chris said. You miss on the Clippers sometimes because they're transitioning, and then the East Coast gets hammered by a good snow. Um, so it's it's hard to get that track, and it probably has something to do with the Appalachians, I would say, um, that you would almost need for a big storm in Indiana and Ohio, you would almost need a low to track right up the spine of the Appalachians. And, and that typically just doesn't occur <laughs> the low is either to the to the west or to the east of them it never really the only problem is when that happens is the northeast and the new england and mid-atlantic all suffer with rain because that's really <laughs> well, we're, we're not worried about them today brad <laughs> yeah uh, we're not talking about that. This is, this is specifically so. midwest uh, 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 forecast. Yeah. Even though we were slipping in some uh, new england references and new jersey references hey look as a I, I am not a Midwest resident, so we'll just put that, you know, uh, you know, put that out there. Um, you know, obviously a Northeast resident, but, you know, more by more of my experience with uh, more of my expertise, as it, as it were, as, you know, with experience in, in terms of this region and how it, how it goes. Uh, but, yeah, um, it, it is tough uh, for them to, you know, it is tough for them to get you know, a lot of big, big events, um, like, we, 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 like how we do. Um, I think we're a lot of all or nothing sometimes, um, you know, where Midwest could do quite a lot and it snow a lot, but, um, you know, they don't just don't get quite uh, these huge blizzards all, um, you know, all the time, or there at least there's a cap in how much they can get out of them. Um, for for various number of reasons, and I think probably one of them being uh, just that lack of that extra little moisture source. Um, On the flip side of that, if we're talking about summer, um, you're probably going to see a lot more severe weather um, than we typically get on the East Coast, so... Yeah, no. Yeah, am I uh, wrong? Yeah, no, you're right. Um, I ha- <laughs> personally myself, I mean, honestly, I feel like I've been in sort of a down period the last few years. Um, okay, you can just tell me I'm entirely wrong. I was you making are so wrong. You are so wrong, Mike. <laughs> you're the expert here uh, for the Midwest. Remember, I'm the uh, New England guy. How so could you just step in there and judge. No, I'm kidding. Um, but in all seriousness, no, like it has been a bit of a down period. I feel like. Their biggest things um, are, are um, you know, mesoscale convective systems, um, you know, MCS, especially um, in and around like the transition seasons. Um, okay, before you go any further, you're going to have to explain that a little bit more. So it's like, you know, 
it's a little com- it's a little complex of thunderstorms or little or big or whatever uh, you want to call it. But usually they happen. They usually they happen to form um, in the transition times of season. And they could happen during the summer, but usually it's just like an April or May type of thing. Um, and what happens is they just form into these big clusters of storms. They like to happen. At, they like to form at night. Um, just I, I, I try to think of the reasons as to why they like to form at night. Um, but they do like to form at night. And um, eventually once they form, they turn into these lines of thunderstorms that can be pretty strong. Usually the biggest impacts from them are, are, are wind, um, severe wind and maybe sometimes tornadoes. Yeah. I think a lot of times out there, they develop into rate to derechos, um, not, not not a lot of times, I should say. That's a more rare occurrence, but um, you know, that's when you have one of these complexes that really gets a big cold pool of air behind the uh, leading line of thunderstorms, and it just sustains itself all the way through the Midwest. And it happens more often than not, I would say, out in the Midwest rather than something in the Northeast. You know, we we rarely get derechos occurring, um, but. But out in the Midwest, uh, you know, it's it's a bit flatter. Once they get going, they just kind of keep trucking on through all the way through the Mid Atlantic. Roll on through, yeah, and go right to the right to the East Coast. Yeah, the biggest problem we have is we have the mountains, right? So, like you know, out here we we deal with that. Um, but yeah, out in the Midwest and anywhere where there's plains, um, it's um, you know, it's fair game. Um, I think one of the biggest things that happen out here too, um, is hail. Uh, you know, we just, we can just get larger hailstones from, from supercells, um, in some of the, in some of these parts. And, you know, I, I want to say tornado, but you know, we've had some, you know, and a number of them out in the East coast. Well, I think, I think what I was getting at with my severe weather is typically when you have supercells developing out there. Um, out in the Midwest, they're a bit larger, a bit more uh, textbook. Uh, well, storms themselves seem to, to get taller out there anyway. Whereas on the East Coast, when you get supercells developing, they are the tiniest little spin-up and, you know, pixels on a radar screen that we're just barely looking at. It's hard to pick out those little hook echoes where... Uh, in the Midwest, you have a much larger and defined hook echo um, on radar, which is basically like it's described. It looks like a hook uh, signature uh, in the thunderstorm, um, and that's indicating that you have rotation. Um, so, I mean, and you are 100 percent right, uh, Mike. And, and, and as I point out with the whole thing where they have uh, hasn't been as busy, I think, or last like a couple of years. It was just kind of true. I think they've had some of a down period um, in the last couple of seasons. Uh, I don't recall um, a lot of things happening. We did have a derecho um, a number of uh, a few years ago when I was here, um, and it was pretty and it was pretty significant. It was that one that that flattened all the corn in Iowa, I think, at one point, um, and all the cornfields. Um, but uh, I'm trying to think of the year. I'm I'm bad at see. I'm bad at trying to remember when when these things happened. Right. I mean, unless we're talking about a blockbuster blizzard or something like that, it, it's it's hard. It's hard for me to remember those two. But I do remember at, at one point I was forecasting in the Midwest. So this might have been before your time, Chris, here at WeatherWorks. 
Um, I remember a, a derecho happening, um, and it was very obvious. It was developing out in Iowa. You can see it. You can see the wind reports coming out. It was probably, although it was very destructive uh, through northern Illinois, um, it was probably one of the more easier, I should say, things to forecast because you saw it coming. It's, it's just there. a matter of timing Time out how fast it's moving and when it's going to arrive. I mean, it was basically shoe in as you get for, for the forecast. Um, so, but unfortunately, lots of destruction. I will say, and you, and you bring that up, but I, there is some credence to that, where it's like when it is a nice organized area of thunderstorms, uh, you know what? That's like the best thing in a way that, you know, and not to say, you know, and obviously from an impact standpoint, it's not great. But, you know, if for a, someone trying to track it, um, it has a lot more and not only has a lot more eyes on it, um, you know, it's just more obvious, right? It's it's not something that just forms and, you know, you didn't realize, you know, in two seconds, a tornado formed out of this thing. This is something that's long track that is covering, you know, hundreds of miles um, that, you know, you could see coming. Right. And, and, and I'm sure both of you will agree. Anytime you have a situation as a forecaster that something is developing overhead, um, that is worst case scenario of, because, you know, when you have thunderstorm initiation, yeah, you're looking for a front um, or something like that to trigger it. And where that exactly happens is, is the, the hardest thing to figure out. You're looking for some sort of source, you know, the front, uh, some elevations, uh, some differential heating, some sea breezes, lake breezes, whatever it is, to try to find where that ignition source is going to be. Um, so when it's developing overhead, it's more difficult because you have to try to find those little boundaries and those little areas that are going to trigger it. Um, Micro meteorology. Right. Whereas if you have the big system, like we're talking about, you know, rolling through, it's easy to time out. And that's why meteorology. Yeah. (laughs) Almost uh, of late, a lot of December featured uh, as far as winter is concerned, a lot of little tiny events that were kind of, you know, disorganized and 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 you know maybe not as large scale of winter storm like you like to see and it's a lot of times i look at them and i go oh why couldn't you just be a regular storm like why (laughs) why do you have to be this disorganized piece of trash come Come, sorry to be so blunt, but I mean, that's what I'm, you know, you see a lot of and when it's disorganized and it's limited moisture, that's when it's difficult to forecast the impacts. Mike, are you saying you don't like March snowstorms? I did not say that. <laughs> One of my favorite March snowstorms is uh, is a March snowstorm. Yeah. I mean, Superstorm 93. Come on. Oh, uh, yeah. That's... One of my favorite storms of all time. Now, Mike's still jaded by the four nor'easters that impacted New England back in uh, 2018. Oh, more like 2018. Well, 13, 14, you can rack them up there, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, where every other storm was 6 to 12-inch-plus starting point, and then we just go up from there. Um, yeah, didn't you tell me once when you're – one of the clients like, oh, only six inches out of this one. Okay. Yeah, they, they didn't even. Oh, it's it's under a foot. Oh, <laughs> no big deal. 
Yeah, they already had the snow up to like their truck. Yeah, what's roofs, another? <laughs> uh, roofs on on the side of the road, so they were they were just like, okay, okay, and that's that's okay. I can deal with six inches. Yeah. Um, because it seemed like every storm that was forecast, you know, started at twelve plus. Um, and then you get twenty or twenty four in some certain spots with the banding set up. So yeah, they had like a hundred and. 20 inches or something like that over that year. Oh, they were trying to find places to put the snow and they couldn't add the jump. Right. In. Yeah. There was a giant, uh, pile of, that was a snow, the, the trash snow pile. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in one of some parking lot or something or field, uh, that was, I, don't know, I forget how long it actually lasted, but it seemed like it didn't melt for, I don't even know how long June or something. Yeah. It took a very long time. Um, but Chris, is there any other memorable storms that you could think of that you really would like to talk about? I mean, we talked a little bit about the Groundhog Day storm, which was so unique in its in its intensity uh, for areas in the Midwest. But is there any other storms that's really memorable for you? I have one that's in my head. I need to. <laughs> I, I, I we need to beat it out of here or something. <laughs> we need to make a, the, the, the date. Uh, of when it happened, but um, there was a storm in Chicago. Of course, why not? It's Chicago. Um, and it had everything. Um, so in terms of the setup and, and everything like that for a, for a big snowfall in one localized area. Um, it was a big, it was a decently sized synoptic storm. It probably was roughly about two to four, three to six inches for most areas. Uh, but then there was an area, <clears throat> a little corridor off of the lake um, and through Cook County um, that was um, a lake effect band that just snowed endlessly. And they were, this was coming off of an extremely cold stretch. Um, and it, it, there were, I think the temperatures aloft were like minus 20. Um, or something like that. It was really super cold, uh, stupid cold um, aloft while this storm was happening. So you had all the ingredients there. As long as you had lots of moisture and a strong system, that it was able to put out these big flakes. And I remember this one band just sitting over the Metro. And this is the one time I can remember the Metro outperforming everybody. Um, they had about 15 or so inches of snow out of this thing. Um, and it snowed endlessly under this one little lake effect band that just kept sitting there. And it was off. It was a lake effect band as a result of a synoptic system um, that just kept sitting um, for a while until it eventually uh, uh, left. But I remember trying to forecast the end of that, and it was almost impossible. Um yeah, Localized Midwesting, I guess. <laughs> no, this is not Midwesting. This is definitely not Midwesting. <laughs> this is a different definition. Um, and, and a lot of people try to steal our term Midwesting. Um, this is this is Midwesting has a very special meaning. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, in, in terms of like you know the lake effects and the, the way it was sustained. I don't remember anything stranger 
or more or more difficult to try to pinpoint um, in my time here. Uh, that was a truly memorable event. Um, I would have to probably get the exact date for you. Uh, but um, yeah, it, it was it was something else. It was like 2020 uh, or, or something like that, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, for some reason, I want to say I remember that system. Um, I know I wasn't forecasting it, but I remember just, I suppose, appreciating uh, how rare of a occurrence that was. And, you know, not to, to bring it back to the Northeast again, but I remember having similar a similar setup in New England a few times with ocean effect and ocean enhancement. Um, whereas, oh man, I remember the one time there was a big oceanic storm and it was trucking in moisture to Massachusetts and there in Essex County, which is Northeast Massachusetts, they had a, like you were saying, almost like a stationary band that was coming off the ocean and just sitting over Essex County. Now, everybody else, like you said, Chris, two to four, three to six, four to eight inches, maybe. Um, but in that one county, 15, 20, <laughs> just there um, and, and nowhere else. So, and clients are calling in and going like, what is going on? And, you know, me as the forecaster, I was just like you trying to figure out when is this thing going to end? And it was, it was one of those rare occurrences where, you know, it, it was just kind of baffling on why it kept staying there and, and not not moving and and while everybody else was kind of diminishing down. So uh, I, I truly feel that um, <laughs> that pain of the the, the rare storm um, on your end there. Yeah, it, it was a memorable one. Um, uh, I, I don't remember, like I said, it, it, we talked about lake effect and how difficult it was to achieve um, or how often how difficult it is to achieve that kind of lake effect. I think that's one of the things where that's one of the ways you can um, sustain that kind of lake effect is if you have a big synoptic system and super duper cold, super duper cold air. I think that was one of the things that was the biggest trigger uh, for that particular event because, you know, it it's, it was like almost like record book cold. Um, and as long as you have that, again, you have the low DGZ, you have these big, you know, dendrites that are falling. Like you, it's, and it, it was able to sit there, um, you know, for, for forever. And I think I have found it, Mike. Um, I was been looking and researching since I have, uh, uh, since uh, uh, we've been even speaking here. Um, I believe this storm was February 14th to 16th of 2021 hmm valentine's day yep somewhere around there then hmm. yep and parts of the metro were about 15 to 18 inches um anywhere outside of like the tollways uh which are only a few miles inland of um the of the lakeshore um were pretty much in like the three to six, maybe six or seven or eight inch range. Um, and then all of a sudden it just jumps um, into the, the the mid and upper teens in terms of snowfall total. So the one time that I think I can remember, because uh, it's very rare that the metro areas outperform the inland spots. Right. Wow. 
And yeah, that is certainly a, a memorable and rare storm. Um, well, Chris, I don't know unless you have something else to, uh, little nuggets to drop on us here with the, <laughs> uh. <laughs> with the forecasting, with the forecasting, yeah. uh, aspect right. of the Midwest. Um, you know, if you have anything else, say your piece right now, but otherwise, uh, I think it's about time to wrap up. I'd say we've got, I, I've, I've, and everyone else has gotten away with some very quiet times of late. Uh, we'll, we'll see if things get a little better in January. I'm a snow guy, you know, I, I, it, it, you know, my, I think my, my passions definitely are for winter forecasting. Um, but you know, it, it you know, it's, it's starting to get, you know, we're starting to get there. Let, let's get some snow in here. That's what I would say. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's my piece all right there you go there's there's the last so chris thanks a lot uh for being on the podcast yeah it's been really uh enjoyable and lots of information yeah i appreciate you guys uh having me and you know i know you guys you know hear me at, you know, a lot here on on this uh podcast you know, just <laughs> introducing it but you know it's good to good to be on it for the first time so uh, i appreciate you guys all right, Chris. Well, we'll have to have you on again soon. Uh, I'm sure there's plenty other topics that we can talk about. <laughs> for sure. All right. Well, that's it for this edition of our Weather Lounge podcast. So remember, we'll have a new episode every two weeks. So be sure to visit us once again. And also find WeatherWorks at weatherworksinc.com. Find out all we do there with the weather industry and the snow and ice industry. Visit WeatherWorks on social media. You can find us on pretty much every platform there is out there. We'll see you next time, or we'll talk to you next time <laughs> uh, here on the Weather Lounge.